welcome to From the World Up. Today I'm talking about the Evil Empire. First off, I want to name check the uh, Evil Overlord list. If you haven't seen the Evil Overlord list, then you're not using your internet properly. Have a look. As ever, I'm the Marcher Witch, or Holly March. Welcome. To begin at the beginning, let's talk about the rise of empires. Now, most empires come out of places where they've already got access to resources, to wealth, or on a really good trade route, things like that. Often lush agrarian areas or woodland uh, where there's plentiful food. Um, or a place that did have this and has lost it um, and therefore need, feels the need to spread and regain what's lost. Um, this is like a generalization, obviously, but um, it's quite a good one because places that don't have that don't start looking sideways. They look to themselves and try and build what they have. They try and um, scratch a living kind of thing. But if you've already got all this lush agrarian, you start thinking, OK, so we've conquered this bit. We've, we're, li we're living pretty well. What shall I do next? Um they want more. And that's kind of like the model for like the Teutonic nations um, in their spread uh, and colonial colonialization of the entire freaking world. Um, but also like places like if you look at the Chinese uh, imperial Chi uh, Chinese empire and imperial China, it spread out of like the Yellow River area where it was, you know, very lush, very rich in resources and things like that. And then spread out to the uh, to the outskirts. Um Frequently, uh, an empire will justify itself um, frequently with, ju with, uh, with religion. So, for example, Rome, they believed that their gods liked war, that they liked expansion, so th and that their gods were right. So, they, they, you know, they spread out. And while they didn't force conversion, they expected people to say, yeah, sure, your gods are better than my god. Um, obviously, you know, I'm going to go to my old um, having post and, and talk about um, Christianity and Islam and the way that they, again, because they believe that their God is the best, they um, spread and spread and spread and uh, forced conversion. And because they um, th thought that their God was best, they thought they were doing the right thing um, by saving people from having to have their own beliefs, gods forbid. Um, a really good example of this is, is the fact that Spain was only in like what's it, 1400s was made an empire because um, Isabella and Ferdinand wanted to have an empire of, of a Christian Spain. Um, it's often about uh, destroying the um, culture and heritage of the people that you're uh, inv invading. So um, really good example of this, if I go back to China, to the Qin Dynasty, I hope I pronounced that okay. Um who uh, when they when they rose, it was known as the era of burning books and burying scholars. Um, frequently, um, any kind of uh, library would get burned down. Any kind of um, like uh, tombs of the ancestors were often destroyed and desecrated. Things like that, um, because it is destroying the outposts of not the outposts the uh, the ideologies of the people they're invading, so that they don't have anything to rally around. Um, in addition, most uh, empires will uh, establish outposts, um, either um, like forts, fortresses, castles, um, like the ones that were along the Great Wall of China and out in the desert region, regions of China, like Edward I's castles in Wales, uh, like Hadrian's Wall um, in, uh, in the, uh, Scotland, which was the very end of, of the Roman Empire's reach uh, within Britain and uh, it was kind of marked the area of like, we can't conquer any further than this we've tried, let's stop and obviously that has uh, been used as an image and as an, as an influence on, in Game of Thrones and in Garth Nix's Sabriel series 
as the Almohad Empire spread um, across Ar- um, the Arabic nations and across North Africa, they knocked down um, and rebuilt entire cities. Marrakech was was, all, was practically raised to the ground apart from the walls because they thought that the minarets and the um, uh, the Kasbah buildings were too ornate, so they wanted them destroyed and rebuilt in a much more austere way, which is still far more beautiful than anything uh, that was being built in Britain at the time. Um, once again, there's uh, either forced conversion or at this point, um, that why, if you weren't converted, you had to pay massive taxes. If you were a free Jewish person in uh, Marrakech in the 12th century, for example, you had to wear bright yellow robes to make you stand out. Um, and while you were still one of the children of the book, as far as uh, the as far as Islam goes, there were still massive penalties uh, for not converting. Uh, to go a step further, um, the treatment of indigenous peoples in Australia, in um, North America, um, and even at various points of history in places like Finland and, and northern Russia, um, the indigenous people are pushed out uh, to the roughest, most unlivable areas of the country. Um, they are expected to live in the worst conditions uh, in the hopes that they'll just stop existing. Um it has continued and it continues to this day and it is still absolutely despicable. Um, also consider uh, a very good one for for influence is the harrowing of the North. If you look into that, when William the Conqueror took over England, um, when the Northumbrians, because they had the closest link to the English crown, refused to back down, um, all of the male adults were killed. Um, there was a huge um, sweeping... Uh, epidemic of rape across the whole of Northumbria and the land was literally salted so that nothing would ever grow there again, you know, except for sheep. Uh, so, and cows, actually, good cows up in Northumbria. Um, and that's the kind of thing that you can only really imagine in these days as being part of an evil empire, right? Um, also, obviously, consider Flint water and uh, the um, Lack of access to clean water, which can really affect a people, especially if it was, for example, a people that had recently been invaded, um, it would really affect their ability to resist. So now we've talked rise, let's talk resistance. Um, There's always going to be a people fighting back for their own country and their own land. Um, Really good examples of this, the Spanish banditos in the Napoleonic Wars. Uh, who uh, stood up um, against the uh, French army coming down south um, and basically held them off until the until the English joined in. Um, and they basically um, just set the standard for um, modern guerrilla warfare. Um, but the people who perfected it really were the Viet Cong, um, who in the same way as the, um, the Gwyneth Welsh soldiers did at the time of Henry II, um, would come in, harry the supply lines, um, attack soldiers and then disappear because they knew their land so much better than the invaders did. Um, the second time of re- type of resistance is the uh, Vichy France model. Anybody who's seen a Lolo will immediately be thinking of Michel of the Resistance, um, who used um, what I would call rather less less um, overt tactics. Um, things like, again, not so much harrying supply lines, but blowing up supply lines, uh, preferably with uh, trains and or trucks full of weapons along the way, uh, who infiltrated as best they could, um, who lived among the general populace and would smile to the Nazis during the day and then undo their work as best they could at night. 
Um, they disrupt the logistics uh, from inside and from outside as best they can to make life utterly miserable and to slow down um, the growth and efficiency of the invading empire. Um, main main uh, resource you're going to need to consider is propaganda. Does your fantasy world have printing presses um, or is there any other way of displaying or announcing uh, propaganda? Um, posters, radios in, in the real world, um, public denunciations in marketplaces and in the streets, which is, of course, extremely risky and usually leads to death. Um, have a look into the uh, the case around Ahed Tamimi. Apologies if I mispronounced her name, but the uh, Israeli girl who slapped a, a soldier and has recently got out of prison after eight months for doing so. Um, have a look into that. It's a really interesting story and... Um, it shows the strength and courage of people in the face of um, not just adversity, but utmost danger. Um, the next big thing that you're going to have to consider is uh, if the empire has outside enemies. If they've conquered everybody, it's not as much of an issue. Um, but communicating with outside, um, outside, uh, outside enemies and making alliances uh, is what a resistance has to do. They have to hold off for as long as the uh, empire can be fought by somebody else who is still free and still has an army. Uh, but still, they're going to be doing a lot of ambushing, um, a lot of bombing, a lot of raising places to the ground, trying to get rid of forts and uh, outposts as best they can. In retaliation, though, uh, the empire, um, obviously, as I was saying earlier, desecrates shrines and libraries and holy land and, and uh, will target vulnerable people. Um, the American forces in Vietnam would bomb entire villages just because they thought the Viet Cong might be there. Um, but in return, um, uh, not so not in return, um, but then, you know, ugh, I'm going to have to stop on this section. I'll continue in a second. Okay, just the last footnote to uh, that last section. Um an empire uh, invades places either to convert people to its mindset and to its way of thinking or to um, acquire more resources for itself. And that resource could be uh, coal, it could be gold, it could be magic. Uh, but a lot of the time it's people. It's wanting cheap labour uh, and free labour, either as slaves or serfs, um, serving the empire as a whole and producing taxes for the empire as a whole. Um, so an empire usually considers uh, the people that it's invading as resources as much as, you know, the earth or the corn or whatever else is produced. Uh, the people are considered um, a part of the package deal. An empire is only as strong as its structure is sound. And I'm not just talking about the military, although their enforcement is necessary if uh, you want to bring in martial law. Um, although... Obviously, if your emperor is like a god king or a super strong wizard, then the need for um, physical martial law is less necessary. Uh, but still consider it. Um, one of the cruelest things an empire will do is enroll local garrisons or just take over the local garrisons and give them new masters, which means that if martial law is enacted, if cruel laws are enacted, it is people um, struggling against their own people, uh, which gives them a more uh, focused viewpoint, a more focused thing to hate. I'm going to power through my cats being irritating. I'm sorry, um, because I've tried stopping and they won't stop. Anyway... Um, so yeah, enrolling a local garrison uh, turns people against themselves and stops them thinking outward um, towards the uh, the distant and, and more overarching threat. 
Um, there's going to need to be admin. Even if you do have one single guy who is the most powerful guy in the universe, he's still going to need admin. He still needs the civil service. Um, it's uh, federal government at its its actual meaning, um, not as in the American sense of, oh, God, no, not the federal government, but actual federal government being like there's a centralized power and then um, lots of states uh, which are um, ruled by that power um, but have their own autonomy along the way. Uh, that's the usual model for empires. Um, consider the um, way that the East India Company and um, the British Empire ruled places like India, where they standardised local testing and completely revamped um, everything in their own model of, of education and things like that to allow local people to, uh, again, to rule themselves and to rise up. Uh, in so doing, they set the cleverest people apart from the rest of the village. Um, or the rest of the town, um, making them seem uh, part of the part of the bad guys and things like that, which means that, um, again, the most intelligent um, rise up and become more efficient servants for the empire um, and other people. They, you almost have the struggle between the, um, the uh, educated and the everybody else. Um, once again, uh, driving in a wedge between people and uh, people who are their, their friends and relatives. Um, it allows a consistency in the same way that Starbucks or McDonald's allows consistency. There's no excellence, just um, a consistent level of um, goodness, um, um, keeping track of patterns and keeping track of um, money and taxes and things like that. Um, it means that you get like an Interpol thing where people can track criminals more easily. Um, that's one of the few benefits of being part of an empire, I suppose. So basically there's a lot of like all of the good parts about an intergovernment, intergovernmental organisation, um, but plus taxes. So you've got the um, access to criminal things, you've got better trade routes, things like that, um, but you're also paying massive amounts of taxes to an evil overlord. Um, so it's all the good stuff about intergovernmental organisations, but quite a lot of crap as well. Um, if If you have a religious empire, you've got to consider the fact that therefore the church is telling people what to do as well, so even in their spiritual moments, they're being told what to do by the empire and by the people that rule over them and their country um If you're going to have an empire, consider succession if you have a god king or an immortal wizard um obviously that's not going to be as much of an issue, but dynasties um prolong empires um it's why the uh succession is always such a big deal. Um, it allows consistency, but also like if you're a member of the same family, there's a sense of the figurehead of uh, almost being legendary, of, all, of never really having your own identity. There's uh, in Terry Pratchett's Pyramids, there's a very strong thing about this, about, you know, having to become the pharaoh. I can't remember if he uses the word pharaoh for the life of me, um, but becoming that and therefore subsuming your own identity and just being part of the succession. Um, this existed in, in Rome with like the, the way that that's why they started putting their emperors on coins because it's almost like they became a religious thing in their own right um, and therefore they had to be obeyed because they were part of the religion, part of the faith. So, it's you know, a similar thing to the whole if the church is part of the empire. So having talked about the rise and maintenance of empires, uh, I'm going to talk about the fall. Now, if it happened a long time ago, there's probably a legend, uh, allegorical or not, that's... Uh, struck up oh my god i'm just gonna power through i'm gonna power through the cats because otherwise i'm gonna kill one of them so the one i'm gonna do uh, as an example is a sun inca legend um which is that uh, when the uh, empire was established they made a deal with uh, a local water guardian 
that was uh, a snake and it was called Bida. Um, and it said that if you sacrifice a virgin a year, um, it would look after the area and keep it fresh and keep it raining and keep it producing gold. Uh, and when a guy uh, who was supposed to be, um, his what his girlfriend was supposed to be sacrificed, he finally went, no, shan't, and cut off Bida's head. Uh, and then that was why um, that particular part of Africa no longer has rain and why the gold no longer came out of the ground. Um, it's a really, really good um, allegory for why um, it's uh, why there is not much uh, waterfall, but also why, um, you know, after you've dug up all the seams, why there's no more gold left in the area. Um and it also links into the old uh, Arthurian concept of, you know, a dragon that eats a virgin once a year. And I would be really interested if that would link in to the fact that, um, you know, there were black people in um, Britain um, from Roman and just post-Roman times, like before there were Saxon people. And I would love to know if this is where the uh, legends of um, dragons came from. If anyone knows, please tell me. Anyway, uh, but if it's not uh, a very long time ago that the empire collapsed, um, you come closer into the times that was history. So um, to look at the Roman example uh, is uh, the spread of corruption uh, and excess and um, the fact that um, pol politics became more about pleasure and about um, self-attainment than it became anything about um, conquering areas and, and things like that. And because there was so much corruption in choosing governors, governors would go to places and just want to get as much money out of an area as they could. Um, and so they weren't, you know, military commanders. They weren't skilled at uh, administration. So it became easier and easier for areas to rebel and easier and easier for areas to break off. Um, so uh, I would ask you to consider, therefore, like how things were after Rome, you know, after the Visigoths attacked. Um, they stayed in Rome, so they stayed in these beautiful palatial areas and uh, you know the Grand Baths and everything and adapted themselves to the new place that they lived in. Um, Britain was left with invaders all over the place and Roman structures uh, soon began to crumble um, into old, more tribal aspects and things, but the cities and the concept of cities remained. Um, so if you had an empire a long time ago, then you know consider that and consider the way that um, people adapt, um, but how the mark of that empire does not leave um, and does not fade away. Um, you can also have it fall because of outside forces, so um, jealous um, either growing empires themselves um, or just forces that have a more, have a more chaotic lifestyle. Um, if you think about the Huns in, in northern China, um, and the way that they were constantly, constantly trying to invade and raid uh, in a sort of very Viking kind of way. And like the Mongols, who um, slowly formed an empire out of, uh, tribal, out of a tribal situation and then started spreading into Rus um, in search of uh, treasures and slaves and things like that and easier places to live. Um consider diseases or indeed magic weakening an army if you look at the napoleonic model um, napoleon wouldn't have lost if there wasn't so much dysentery um, and scurvy amongst his army and navy um to go back to like kind of comparing it to rome if you get people competing for leadership and constantly poisoning each other and undermining each other and trying to uh, show how the other one is screwing up um, you're going to get problems with the infrastructure you're going to get problems within the army and things like that and that can lead to an empire slowly breaking down and cracking um, 
also, uh, over time, religious fervor tends to die and tends to lessen as people go through the realization that actually praying doesn't change anything. Um, and so you get that slow shift away from, um, yes, I must do what the emperor says because the emperor is God or has the ear of God, things like that. Um, so, yeah, and then post-fall, as I say, uh, you get the vulture nations like Saxons who go, oh, the empire's moved, so we're going to start raiding this new place. You get places evolving into a whole new entity of their own and, and forging independence. And often that happens towards the end of an empire is that certain states will start um, pulling themselves apart and start um, returning to a semblance of what they once were or, again, as I say, involve, evolving into a new entity. Um if the empire falls quickly, you're going to have the people that once were the resistance um, directing the new world. Um, a lot of communists were given over to the Nazis um, so that they would not be the uh, strongest force in the second after the Second World War. And Brits would um, would leak information about communist uh, resistances in the hopes that the uh, de Gaulle resistance would um, be on top at the end of the war. Um, so there is the risk of liberators becoming the new evil empire. You know, if, if the wrong type of resistance, those who survive by being the most ruthless, um, become, uh, the, the new, the new leaders, uh, that can cause, cause an entirely new, um, a new paradigm of, of evil and paradigm of, of terror. Um, and I would leave you with like that, that image of, um, people pulling down statues, and possibly erecting new ones um, to their new evil overlord, whoever that may be. So I know it's been a shorter episode this time, uh, but I am exhausted. Uh, so I'm just going to leave you with a few authors that I think you should check out. Again, Trudy Canavan, um, her world building is exemplary and she writes empires usually just starting towards their fall uh, extremely well. Um, David Edding's Alenium um, and Tamuli series, uh, if you can bear the racism, um, the way that he uh, describes the running of an empire is, is very good and quite witty, but at the same time, super racist. Um, it's more useful to have read, um, even if uh, you don't want to. So try and get it secondhand. There we go. Try and get it secondhand. Um, I'd also, of course, recommend Guy Gabriel K or Gavriel, maybe it might be Guy Gavriel K incredible writer. Um, his lines of Al-Rasan and Tigana are both incredible examples. Tigana is like the perfect evil emperor story. Um, and the way that he writes uh, a resistance is absolutely perfect. Obviously, Terry Pratchett, um, by Jingo, um, Pyramids, uh, any of those are really, really good examples. Um, Monstrous Regiment, really good example. Um, and my brain has blanked completely because I told you I was tired and the cats have started again. So thank you for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>